Do you consider Jesus to be a rule follower or a rule breaker? Okay, so is there anyone that's going to say that Jesus is a rule follower or both? Okay, so we have a little bit of a rule follower or both? Okay, this is good. This is perfect. So we have all three represented. Okay, this is good. We're going we'll, we're gonna to come back. To, we're going to kind of carry this thought through. Um, do you consider yourself to be a rule follower or a rule breaker? How many rule followers do we have? Commodore, no surprise there. <laughs> Mr. Navy. Okay, rule breakers. Do we have any people that will admit? Okay. Okay. Anyone that just feels like they're a good combination of rule follower and rule breaker? Okay, that's, I, I'm in the middle. I'm, I'm both, so I would fit in the middle. All right, so we'll just, we're going to carry these things. These are going to help us. So there's strengths and weaknesses of both. I don't know if anyone's ever thought about this, but I'm just going to give you like one of each, right? A rule follower will abide by policies and procedures, and they'll hold other people accountable to those things. It's a strength. In general, they're much less of a risk, right, for obvious reasons. But a rule follower's weakness may be such an overfocus that leads to inflexibility. Maybe our rule followers can relate to that a little bit. So by nature, right, they're motivated by this desire to have things remain orderly at all times. So this is, this is good Presbyterians love the rules, okay? Like, they're by nature good rule followers. Good Presbyterians, I don't know if anyone knows this, there's a favorite verse, trust me, and it's 1 Corinthians 14.40. It's Presbyterian's favorite verses. Let all things be done in decency and in order. If you love that verse, you are a rule follower. Okay? Um, I like it, but I don't love it. But I like it, which probably makes me like a mediocre Presbyterian at best. Okay? Um, now, when I work with like really good orderly rule-following Presbyterians, like, I just want them to break a rule so bad. Like, you have no idea, just any rule, just one. Like, show me that you're human. Um, now, in contrast, rule breakers, here's, here's what rule breakers do well. They challenge the status quo, right? This is probably their, their biggest gift, and they aren't afraid to speak up and to present, like, outside-the-box ideas. Now, their weakness is they can appear to lack an internal compass or knowing the difference between right and wrong. These are the criticisms of people that break the rules all the time. So, like, historically, the word rule breaker and the word Presbyterian don't go well together. And this got me really thinking. Um, but that's starting to change today because church planters are not the best rule followers, right? Like, my church plant planting friends that are in a network that, uh, Dan, you're starting to get to know some of these people. You're starting to see this probably. Um, they love to push boundaries, especially boundaries that get in the way of mission, and especially boundaries where, uh, that exclude people from community in the name of righteousness. This is what my church planting friends love to push on these boundaries, and we're going to come back to that one um, in a minute. So, right, this is a really fun like question to, to, to talk about, maybe a good lunchtime conversation. Do you think Jesus is more of a rule follower and a rule breaker, and why? Or is he some combination of the two? Now, we're going to explore this idea together this morning, and what I want to be careful of is that we don't force Jesus into a category, right? We're having some fun here, and we're trying to get our minds inside of this uh, scripture that we're going to look at in the moment. But they're just like typologies, right? They're meant to help us get inside the story 
Um, and if we can all agree to that, we're not going to force Jesus into a box. Uh, if we're good with that, then we're ready to pray. Are we good? Let's pray. Almighty God, your Son and your Savior, Jesus Christ, is the light of the world. Grant that your people would be illumined by your word, that it may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that the world would know of your incredible love in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, here we go. Mark 2, 1 to 22. And as we listen, we're going to look for the ways that Jesus is pushing boundaries, right? Um, And maybe more importantly than that, or what are the reasons for the push on these boundaries? Here we go. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many gathered around that there were no longer room for them, not even in front of the door, and he was speaking the word to them. Then some people came bringing him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. And when they could not bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after having dug through it, they let down the mat on which the paralytic lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this fellow speak in this way? It is blasphemy. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Pushing a boundary. Hopefully we see it already. There's more coming. At once Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were discussing these questions among themselves, and he said to them, Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the paralytic, I say to you, stand up, take your mat, and go to your home. And he stood up and immediately took the mat and went out before all of them so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Jesus went out again beside the lake. The whole crowd gathered around him and he taught them. And he was walking, as he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up, and he followed him. As he sat at dinner in Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the bridegroom is with them, can they? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth onto an old cloak. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost. And so are the skins." but one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. The word of the Lord. There's a lot there. <laughs> There's going, it's going to be like this in Mark, all right? These really long readings, we can't hit everything in there, um, but we're going to hit a couple. So things in Mark are flying. They're moving so fastly, right? Jesus has gone from this obscure guy at the beginning of chapter 1 um, 
who could just be lost in a crowd. Now Jesus is already, by chapter 2, this superstar who has to go into hiding just to get some peace of mind, right? He's been on this whirlwind preaching tour through Galilee. Here he returns home to Capernaum. There were so many people outside the house and inside the house that these four friends carrying a paralyzed man can't even get this uh, man to Jesus. So they climbed the roof. They dug a hole. Can you imagine this? They dug a hole in somebody's roof. I hope they had, like, homeowner's insurance. <laughs> and they lower their friend down to Jesus, right? So here's the thing. What, this is, I think this is important. What are these friends hoping Jesus will do for their friend? What are they looking for? Yeah, what kind? What do they want him to do? Do they want the guy to walk? They want him to walk. What does Jesus do? He, yeah, what's the first thing he does? He forgives, their, forgives his sins, right? Like, can you imagine these guys? They bring this guy there. They lower him through the roof. They want Jesus to make him walk. And Jesus, the first thing he does, he forgives sins. Like, these guys must have been like, come on, Jesus, we brought this guy here. We want to see him walk. Like, what are you doing? With, what's this forgiveness business. And why does Jesus, why does he forgive? And I think the answer is really pretty simple because to Jesus, forgiveness of sins is the more urgent business. It's the most important thing. And so we look at when like Jesus is present, almost there's, there's two things that almost always happen. There's this kind of healing and new life that takes place when people come in contact with Jesus. And the second thing is opposition. And so here in Mark chapter two is where we begin to see the opposition to Jesus. This theme will now run through the rest of the gospel. The religious establishment, they're not impressed. The scribes were these professional interpreters of Jewish law. The Pharisees led this lay movement of reform in Judaism, and they actually had a really noble goal. What they were trying to do was they were trying to preserve Judaism during Roman occupation, right? And so we tend to talk down to the scribes and Pharisees, and there's some good reasons for that. Um, but their goal is a noble one. They're, they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to do their best. Um, they are trying to achieve this by following the rules. These are your rule followers, and they had a rule for everything. I mean everything. I think, I don't know how many there were, 619, I think, if my memory's good, rules. That's a lot of rules, right? To demonstrate, I'm going to give you one that I think is just funny. I read this article by a rabbi that listed 27 rules concerning bathroom etiquette, okay? 27. I'm going to share one because I think it's funny. But what it says is we're talking about these are the ultimate rule followers. Here it is. While you're in the bathroom taking care of your business, you cannot meditate or read any topic related to the Torah. Did you know that? No. You can't do that. Evidently, I didn't know this either, right? You can, however, read newspapers or secular things or whatever. You just can't meditate or read anything to do with the Torah. That's one of the 27 rules uh, of bathroom etiquette. And so, like, I was reading this article, and it all it kind of said that all the great rabbis were really fond of reading books and secular things um, while they were in the bathroom. You know, like, that's funny. Like, I mentioned this because if there's 27 rules governing bathroom etiquette, you understand that these scribes and Pharisees are the ultimate rule followers, right? They must maintain order at all costs. This is what they're trying to do. And what we see is we see Jesus is a threat to that order, okay? And so the question is, like, what is Jesus, what's threatening? What is he pushing? What boundaries is he pushing? And there's a bunch. Um, I'm going to highlight three of them. First is he doesn't forgive by the usual channels. 
He acts like God, and he welcomes the wrong kind of people. Here are three boundaries that Jesus is pushing in this text. He doesn't tell the guy to go show himself to the priests and offer sacrifices in the temple. That would have been the usual way, right? Jesus forgave sins as if, like, in the present, as if he were speaking for God. For this, you see the big word, he's accused of blasphemy, claiming that which belongs to God alone. You want to know what the rule, according to Leviticus 24, you want to know the rules, right? What's that punishable by? Anybody? Death. Death. Blasphemy is punishable by death, Leviticus 24. Ultimately, this does lead to Jesus' death. And we, the reader of Mark, have an advantage over the scribes and the Pharisees. Mark has already told us who this Jesus is. He's already said Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. He's the one who teaches and heals by the authority of God. This is what we looked at last week. And now Jesus is walking along the shores of the Sea of Galilee to teach the crowds, and he comes across Levi, the tax collector, sitting in his booth. He calls him. He claims him for mission. He does what he does with the other disciples. He just simply says, follow me. This guy gets up. He leaves his tax booth, and he follows Jesus. Now, tax collectors probably the most despised people group in first century Galilee, right? They were not well-liked. Jesus and his disciples are invited to this guy's house for dinner, okay? And Jesus accepts this invitation. So here's what we need to know. Like tax collectors and sinners, when the, when the Bible says that, that's like Bible speak for sinners of the worst kind, right? And so I say it, this is, the way, this is what my kids, we use those people in our house, <laughs> right? Like this is, it's those people, right? It's the wrong people, the wrong kind of people. Jesus is hanging out with the wrong people. He's calling the wrong kind of people, right? Why were tax collectors so despised? They were seen as collaborators with their Roman occupiers. They're working for the man. Like, they handle unclean Gentile money. They're given an area. They're given a dollar amount to collect. Anything above and beyond that dollar amount, they get to keep it. They're seen as gluttonous and greedy, right? They're gouging their own people to, be, uh, to get wealthy, which they did. They were a very despised people group. So these re religious professionals, they're scandalized by Jesus' behavior. And Mark kind of ratchets up the level of opposition. The scribes and the Pharisees now, instead of questioning in their hearts, they actually go to Jesus' disciples. They take it up a level. Why is he eating with those people? He's not supposed to do that, right? We, we looked at this last week, and we'll see it all through the Gospel of Mark. The proper response in this situation is to turn and walk away. That's the, that's the rule, right? Follow the rule. You come in contact with this person, you turn, you walk away. You don't hang out with them. Um, and what does Jesus do, right? He does this. He responds with two things, right? First, this proverb where he says that those who are well have no need of a physician. And then the second thing he does is the best part is this, he responds with a mission statement. He says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Like, that's some really good stuff right there. So what are we going to do with this boundary-pushing, rule-kind-of-breaking Jesus? Now, first, let's summarize the rules that he's pushing. Two chapters of Mark's gospel, here's a list. He teaches and heals by the authority of God. He touches lepers. He commands unclean spirits. He claims divine authority to forgive sins. He welcomes people that have been previously excluded from community. He calls unsavory disciples. 
his disciples don't follow the rules like the other rabbi's disciples. He's already pushed all these boundaries in two chapters of Mark's gospel. This is, I, to me, this is important. He's messing with tradition and, and law. Like, this is serious. Like, we tend to trivialize it because we don't really understand the importance of the law. Um, this is a, the law was the fabric of Judaism. Jesus is pushing on the fabric of their faith, right? And so they're not trivial concerns. He really poses a threat to the establishment. Um, and we're going to see this carry on. And we have to remember the strengths and the weaknesses of rule breakers. Rule breakers challenge the status quo. Is Jesus challenging the status quo here? He is. There's no doubt he's doing that. Now, what about the weaknesses of a rule breaker? Lacking a moral compass? Is this what Jesus, does Jesus lack a moral compass? I hope not, right? Um, not a chance. So then we have to say, okay, then what is he doing? If he doesn't lack a moral compass, if Jesus knows the difference between right and wrong, which we all know um, Jesus does, what is going on? What is he doing? And so what he's doing is he's prioritizing human need over ritual observance. He's setting the right priorities. In other words, maintaining and establishing boundaries is secondary. It doesn't say that it's not important. It just means that it's not as important. And so it's true, Jesus is a rule breaker. But here's where I want us to be careful, um, because Jesus is also a rule follower. I want to show you where he, Jesus is following the rules. As a matter of fact, this is, this is critical. He's careful always to follow the number one rule, the rule of one word, love, always. Now, all right, how about this? When Jesus summarized the entire law, how did he summarize it? He summarized it with two things. What do you say? Love God and love neighbor, right? So Jesus summarizes the all the rules, all 619 rules Jesus summarizes with those two things, love God and love neighbor. Jesus never fails at that command, because love is the most central thing that's in line with God's will. So he's not throwing out tradition. Um, Jesus is, as a matter of fact, drawing heavily on an aspect of Jewish tradition, the more prophetic tradition. So I want to show you two quick examples of Jesus in line with the prophetic, uh, prophetic tradition of Judaism. So this is from the prophet Amos. He says, I hate, I despise your festivals and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. This is God speaking, right? Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I won't accept them. The offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. This one hurts a little. Think about this. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. See the priority here, right? Priority isn't with the rules or going through the motions. The priority is, here he says, let justice roll down in righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Here's a simpler one from Hosea, one verse. For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. For the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. It's really clear, right? Jesus is drawing from this prophetic part of the Jewish tradition. God desires justice, righteousness, love, Anything that gets in the way of that, these are the things that Jesus pushes on, right? So I want to finish with a word of caution and then a challenge. Um, here is where it would be way too easy to point the finger. It's really easy to do. Scribes and Pharisees are bad. Church is good. Not true. <laughs> we know that, right? Um, that's why we do confession in our tradition. It just says we're all in the same boat. And Mark will not, he'll never allow for us to do that. Mark is always trying to shine the spotlight back 
on us where it belongs. So we have to ask some good questions. We have to consider some tough things. Think about the ways in which we strive for self-preservation, the ways that we hold on to power, the ways that we exclude certain people in the name of righteousness, the ways that we hold on to rules, right, and fail to cross boundaries. We see Jesus constantly pushing these boundaries. Um, and when we hold on to the rules and we fail to cross those boundaries, what does that mean? It just means we're not going to be meeting, we're not going to be meeting needs the way that Jesus did. So we have to ask ourselves maybe a tough question, which would be a little longer than we have time for now, but what boundaries am I holding on to that Jesus is trying to, to shatter? What are the rules I'm holding on to that cause me to not cross boundaries in order to meet real human need? And I was studying this passage. I came across this guy. Uh, he's a Luther Seminary professor. His name's Rolf Jacobson. Um, he's a really interesting guy. I like listening to a podcast that he does. And he's a man who uh, is in a wheelchair. He lost his legs from childhood cancer, right? And so when he said this, he really got my attention. He was looking at this passage, and at the end of his podcast, he said that every single one of us has a need. And then he said that the words that got my attention, that really knew, I knew I was paying attention, was he said that all of us are limping. He's not a walker, okay? He's in a wheelchair. He hasn't walked since he was a little kid. He says, all of us are limping. And he says, because of that fact, we never close our doors to people, to those people. Because the church is a place for the sick. This is what Jesus said. The church is a place for those who need healing, mind, body, and spirit, right? And so the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. This is what we're seeing at the beginning of Mark's gospel. It's breaking into the world and Jesus in this radical new way, which didn't fit well in the old paradigm. Like putting a new patch on a pair of jeans. Anyone had tough skins? Do you remember, remember those jeans? So when I was a kid, I wore tough skins, right? Because I kept going through them. And every time you put a hole in them, did you ever patch yours? Didn't last long. Like, yeah, that's true. My mom would just put these patches all over them, and I'd just blow these jeans up like crazy because you're so active. All right, how about the other one is like taking a nice, new, expensive, or this would be an old, it says new wine, but I guess if you truly know something about wine, it would be an old, good wine, expensive wine, but taking it and putting it in a cracked, leaky wineskin, right? It's probably the better way to talk about a really good wine, right? And so what happens when we put a patch on an old pair of jeans or this good wine in a leaky old wineskin? We're risking losing both, the new and the old. And it's important to remember that. I don't think Jesus wants to lose the old. I know Jesus doesn't want to lose the old. Read the text, right? And so Jesus says when we do that, this new thing that's happening is, is blowing up this old paradigm. And when you put the new and the old, you're risking losing both. This is what it made me think about, which I'm going to close with. The Presbyterian Church USA that I come out of, and some of us in here do as well. This denomination that I've known and loved since I've been a kid has been torn to pieces in the last decade, right? Because of a value for making space for people that have previously been excluded in the name of righteousness. This is really important. This denomination was like shattered for this reason. You know, welcome, invitation, inclusion. This is what we see Jesus going and doing. When welcome and invitation and inclusion, these can be painful. They can lead to tears, right? They can lead to church splits. 
to decim like total decimation, right? But over and over again, this is what we see Jesus doing. Like, we have to pay attention to this. We see Jesus pushing boundaries in order to widen the circle of inclusion. There's no doubt about this. And to welcome people into community that were previously excluded. Welcoming people into the family of God. This is what we're going to watch Jesus do for this whole rest of this gospel. And discipleship, this is just a response to two words. Jesus says it all the time. He says that we respond to two words. If this is what Jesus is doing, Jesus says, follow me. That's it. He just says, follow me. What does follow me mean? It means do what I do. Become like me. This is what discipleship is. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that challenges us. Uh, we thank you, God, that we do see Jesus being both a rule follower, never, never giving up on the primary rule of love that informs all the other rules. But God, we also see Jesus pushing boundaries in order to meet real human need and to welcome people into community. God, help us as disciples to do exactly what Levi did, to be willing to stand up and to follow. And in doing so, God, becoming more and more conformed to the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.